So um, I was born and raised in the Rio Grande Valley. I am one of six. My parents immigrated to this country years ago, like many other people, in the search of giving their children a better life. So they came to the United States, um, and we were. I was born in McAllen, Texas, raised in Mission, attended La Jolla High School, and childhood was great. I mean, we were happy. Uh, we didn't have, uh, we came from very humble beginnings, but as a family, we were very close. You know, having both my mom, my dad, my siblings, we were generally a very happy child growing up. You know, um, my parents came to this country with a third grade education, so it was hard. We migrated uh, to different states as migrant workers and always came back, you know, to the Rio Grande Valley because this is our home. And even, you know, growing up later in life myself, I left the valley, but I, I've always come back to the valley because mm -hmm. this is where my heart is, where my family is, and where I feel like um, I'm just in a happy place. So, so where, were your, where were your parents originally from? Like, My parents are from Nuevo Leon, from okay. General Terra Nuevo Leon. Uh, both my mom and my dad were born and raised there. And like I said, they traveled to this country. They love this country. Mm -hmm. um, and I lost my father two years ago, but uh, before he passed away, they both became U.S. citizens. And that is one of the biggest things that we are so blessed to be in this country. Mm -hmm. They love this country so much that they themselves became U.S. citizens, raised six of us, you know, and instilled within us the value of an education and the value of being a close-knit family. So when they came to, when they came to the Valley, because, you know, I have a similar story too. My, um, my grandparents, uh, came in from Mexico. My my mom was uh, went up into Illinois and as a migrant worker too, and just kind of like working the fields and things like that. And so, um, what what kind of what what places did y'all go to? Like, what was that experience like? The majority of my mom's family they were they moved to Florida, so we okay. traveled to Florida, of course, uh, picking oranges, and then North and South Carolina with the peaches. So uh, in the summer, we would travel over there, work there, and then come back. And I did that all the way until high school. Um, and that was at the time, I'm doing, I mean, working in the fields is hard work. Yeah. So uh, it's a lot of hard work, but that's when I decided that I needed to pursue an education. Like I said, my parents instilled in me that value of having an education, it's just, it was hard. Mm -hmm. It was hard to attain, but they always said, you can get it done. So my high school years, I was able to stay home focus more on my college credits and getting my resume ready to apply for college. And I was the first one in my family to attend and acquire a post-secondary education. Wow, that's yes. that's awesome. Just breaking that cycle. I mean, it can be done. It was just a hard road getting there. Yeah, and um, I, I would imagine that like, if you were doing that, not only is you know working in the fields very difficult, but if you were doing it in the summertime, it must have been extremely hot too, right? So just. <laughs> oh yes, peaches, you know, when people see peaches now, and I had this conversation, when you see the fuzz, you don't think about it, but when you're out there in the heat, mm -hmm. picking peaches and you have it all over your body, that fuzz can really be painful. So is it really like it starts to yes, on your you get, if you get it all over you, I mean, peaches are different, you know, you see them in the store, but that fuzz, you know, in hot weather, so, all day long. So when you go to HEB, do you like look at do you look at do you buy peaches? I do, but it's different. I know I had okay. that conversation with my neighbor, and she's like, "I never thought about that." I was like, "Yes, you know, not until you've been out there." That's why you know when you see people that are migrant workers, it's just such hard work that they do, and you get paid nothing for it. Mm -hmm. You know, all the effort that you put, you get paid very little. So, 
you know, it's something that I admire people that do that. We did that, but I was blessed. I was very blessed. And I think I tell people I was blessed to get educated. Yeah. It's the biggest thing. You know, I had that opportunity that came my way. I took it and a lot of people helped me get there. Yeah. And, and you know, I think from your parents' perspective, too, sometimes I think about this is like to go to move from one country to another country, not knowing Right. Like they did. There was no Internet back then. There was no job search uh, trying to find a job before you get to a particular place. It's just a lot of faith and, you know, a lot of the a lot of the um, willingness to do it. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, what was your what was your life like? Well, I'm the oldest of four. Uh, I have a younger brother, two younger sisters. We're all two years apart, which I think was a good thing. Um, my dad, uh, was a high school teacher, taught at Mac high for 34 years. What do you teach? Math. Oh, okay. So, um, I always felt like I was obligated to excel in math, uh, just by virtue of him being a teacher. I, I never, I tried not to ever seek his help, but because he was a math teacher, I just felt like I should naturally just be good at math. And were um, you? Yes, actually, I was. Oh, really? Yeah, growing up, uh, I did those UIL competitions and number sense and whatever. I never won anything. I, I don't even know I even came close, to be honest with you, but at least I made the team nice. every year growing up. Uh, my mom is, uh, well, my dad, he's, he's from here, from far. He grew up here, graduated from PSJ High School, graduated from Pan American, and went on to become a teacher. My mom is from Monterrey. Mm-hmm. She came here to the U.S. when she was about 17 or 18 years old. Uh, I was born, I believe she was 21, 22 years old. Okay, so fairly young. Yes. Uh, I grew up in the city of Far. I had a, I mean, from all accounts, a a good childhood. You know, it's funny because now you evolve into, you know, just year after year things happen and, you know, you try to put yourself in a better place. And you now, now that we have two children, you know, kind of comparing their childhood to ours, you know, we just didn't know any better that we, you know, what we had was everything. everything. Yeah. And it was plenty. It was, you know, just enough to make us happy every day and just not realizing, you know, that we did have limited resources and, you know, some of the things that we did, we never went on vacations or anything like that, but but like we were just perfectly happy with what we had and never knew that there was so much more out there Mm -hmm. that we were missing out on, not necessarily missing out on, but there was other things to do. We just, you know, the way we were raised, you know, we're just happy kids and, good environment so you know everything was just peachy yeah sorry <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, kinda, that's, a, that's a good dad joke so so i mean yeah that sound that sounds like um that sounds like kind of the every everything's good uh i think also you know that kind of speaks to your parents character too about like just making sure that you all had a happy childhood growing up and that you didn't really feel like there was a need for uh, for more, right? Never. So, um, so you know, I, I think that um, that that's great that you were able to kind of. I don't know. Do you think that the math part was genetic, a genetic thing, or was it just that your dad was? Well, ju- to be clear, my dad, my dad, he raised me since I was little less than a year old. He's my stepdad. Okay. Um, which is actually kind of, you know, it, it, it's, it's funny because he wasn't my biological father, but, you know, nonetheless, just because he was a math teacher, I just felt like I needed to excel at math. And I would push myself to just kind of to make him proud, you know, come home with A's. I, I, I had 
always had decent grades, mm -hmm. but I always made a point to make sure that I had A's in math just to make him proud and say, hey, dad, you know, I know this is your area. And, like, yeah, you can like be proud of yeah, here you go, 90, straight A, exactly. Like 99 that I got on this. Exactly. And, yeah. so, and so it wasn't, you know, hereditary, but, you know, it was just one of those things that I just felt I needed to step up to the plate. I needed to make him proud, and, and you know, and I did. Well, I would like to think that I made him proud, but certainly I, I at least brought home those A's in math, so that was good. Yeah, so do you all think that, you know, I mean, both of you all are judges. Do you feel like growing up and kind of seeing where you're, the, those humble beginnings and maybe you don't really realize it at the time but maybe later on do you feel like that sense of making your parents proud did that kind of have something to do with y'all's the the ambition to continue to to push more because you go from being the first to graduate right and and but then you don't stop there right you keep you keep going and you keep going and you all you know um go one level and then you all level up again so how does that, you know, what were some of those values, I guess, that your parents instilled in you and how important was their kind of um, appreciation for the things that you all did? Like, how did that play a factor? Well, I think that validated their sacrifices. Mm. For me, like I said, my parents came to this country, they, they left everything and, you know, they left everything they had. They had a good home. They had a family. I cannot imagine myself leaving my family now and traveling or moving to a completely different country where I don't speak the language, where I don't know anybody. So I think when I worked hard, it's just to validate that their sacrifices were done, you know, for a good cause. Coming here, um, you know, mentioning leaving to law school, already having one degree. You know, my first degree was as an educator. I was a teacher. I was, you know, a grown woman with a career. And here I am one day deciding I want to pursue my dream of law school. And I moved across the country. So I left the Valley. I went to Michigan. I attended Michigan State College of Law. Wow. And talking about fear. So we're, I'm leaving educated with the family, you know, knowing where I'm going. I'm scared. And at that point is when I realized, hey, my dad came to this country and his first job was in Chicago. Mm-hmm didn't know the language, didn't know a single person. You know, I have no, I guess, excuse for not succeeding. So when I left, and I think we both talked about our, we've talked about a lot of the same similar backgrounds and experiences. When we left to law school, I was not gonna come back without a law degree. Mm. You know, leaving the Valley, having culture shock. You know, you leave the Valley, it's hot, to Michigan with its cold weather. I was the only Latina in that classroom. You know, when I walked in and I looked around, and I was like, am I the only Latina here? You know, and you don't feel that here in the Valley. Right. You know, and the professor goes, uh, where's Texas? And I'm there thinking, oh, gosh, I hope I'm not Texas, you know, because I am from Texas. And sure enough, he wanted to know where the person from Texas was, you know. So I think just leaving, knowing I'm not coming back as a failure. I'm not coming back with a law degree, you know, to prove to my parents and to validate that whatever sacrifices they had were worth it. So mm -hmm. that's. I feel of you know validating their sacrifices. Yeah, no, and and, and and a lot of similarities between her experience and mine. You know, the same thing that drove me to get A's in math. Uh, you know, I just wanted to make them proud of me. You know, without them having to feel like they had to go above and beyond. Like I, yeah. I, 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 I didn't need. I didn't want to have to have any extra help or any extra resources to to try to get the job done. So it was just I just took it upon myself to try to do well in that area. When I graduated from high school, at the age of 18, I moved to Houston, which was culture shock, yeah. yeah. It was, it's a lot different. Mm -hmm. You know, and 18 years old, I'd never been away from home. Well, and I mean, you said that you never really did vacations and stuff. Right, yeah. Either, right? yeah. So you never so really traveled Never really outside. traveled a whole, a whole lot. Um, 
but you know, I, I attended the University of Houston. I got there and, uh, you know, I'll be perfectly honest. There was many, many, many times when I just gave up. I said, you know what, I, I can't take this anymore. I, you know, just broke all the time, just trying to pay your bills. And uh, there was a point in time and I, I tell this story and I'm, I'm very proud of it, but I used to literally, I, I used to ride the bus two hours to get to school. And I'd be there all day from basically eight to five, five thirty actually, because my last class ended at five thirty. And I get back on the bus on Metro, and it'd take me another two hours to get home. And I did that for about a year, year and a half, and it was exhausting. I mean, literally, I was at twenty four, twenty hours a week on a bus. I mean, that's just horrible. Wow, it's a part time job, right? There. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, but. Every time that I felt like, you know what, I'm giving up, I, I can't do this anymore, I'll go home, I'm half, you know, I've, I've, I'm a junior in college, I can finish off, you know, back home or whatever. But then I'd speak to my mom, or I'd speak to my dad, and they would just remind me, you know, they'd tell me how proud they were of what I was doing, and I was like, oh, God, you know, I can't, you know, disappoint them and go back home and say, look, I tried, I couldn't get it done. So that would just drove me every day, you know, every time I'd give up, there was a phone call that came, you know, soon after, you know, where I, I wouldn't share these stories with my parents. You know, they didn't know everything that was going on in my mind. Mm -hmm. But uh, I would find motivation just from them, you know, their sense of pride and just reminding me of how proud they were of what I was doing. And, you know, keep doing it. You can do this. You know, we, that kind of, you know, those kind of little pep talks. Like, right. Very subtle. Give but, you that motivation to just to keep going. Yes. And then I'd have to just suck it up and say, you know what? I can't go back home until I get this done. And, and that was the driving factor, not only in, in undergrad, but in law school. And um, law school was tough, too. I mean, it's, it's just very demanding. It consumes all your time, all your energy. But um, by that point, I'd pretty much made up my mind that I wasn't coming back home, like she said, mm -hmm. without those degrees and, and, you know, had to make it happen. Yeah, because I think that takes a lot of fortitude to be able to just continue to push on and especially in those kinds of situations when you're just kind of you're out of gas and you're tired and you're you know and i think from an outsider's perspective too you know you all are very successful um and there's different types of ways of of kind of identifying success right but i think when people see uh how successful people are they don't they don't really understand kind of the voyage or the journey on how they got there right and so there was a lot of there must have been somewhere along the line like some some rough patches right some challenges and stuff i mean michigan and just being the only latina there that must have been a crazy culture shock <laughs> yes. uh, especially coming from the valley <laughs> yes. where hispanics are the large majority right i mean and so that must have been a huge culture shock and then you were there for how long three years Okay, so yeah, so you were in it for three years, and then you were at U of H, and then you went into law school at uh, TSU Thurgood Marshall in Houston, which is right down the street. So oh, at okay. least I didn't have to move. But so I lived in Houston for about eight years, including the bar exam. Yeah, about eight years, give or take. I too didn't realize I was Mexican American or Hispanic or Latino or whatever. I did, Until I did. you leave the valley, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're like, wait, like, wait a second, yeah, yeah. where is everybody else around here? <laughs> Yeah, so at the yeah. age of 18, I, yeah, I realized we're not all Hispanic, we're not all Latinos, we're not all, you know, Tex-Mex, you know, right. there's, you know, so it was an eye-opener, but you know what, all in all, it's, it's, it was a great experience, mm -hmm. I wouldn't, you know, change anything for the world, the way things have just turned out, there was lessons learned all along the way, good and bad, mm -hmm. you know, there was some good times, there was some, you know, down times, but, you know, that's just that's part life. of it, that's, that's life. life. It brought us here. Yeah, so, okay. So you're in Houston for eight years. You're in Michigan for three years. 
both of y'all graduate, I would assume around the same time. <laughs> time. Kind of. I'm like 10 years younger than she is. Uh, you know what I was no. going to say? He looks younger than me, doesn't he? <laughs> he sure does. No, there's a, I'm a, There's a difference, there's I'm, an age difference. I'm seven years older. Okay, that's not so, too bad. No. That's not too bad. So I, I started practicing, but she was a teacher for a little while before she went to law school. Right. So right. I, yeah, I started practicing in uh, 90, December of 98. Well, basically that's when I was licensed. So I basically started uh, practicing law in the beginning of 1999. And so you went undergrad straight into law school. Yes, I was, I was desperate, I was broke. I just needed to cross that finish line. So I wasn't taking any time off. So keep going. Keep going. Keep going. And then you were a teacher for a while before you were like, you know, I, there's still a better- I took a, a detour. Class. I always knew that I wanted to go to law school. Mm -hmm. I mean, that has always been my dream to be in law school. Mm -hmm. uh, I just had, I guess a difficult time getting there, mm -hmm. you know, and one of the things it was that sometimes we don't believe in ourselves, you know, we want this, but we're so afraid of failure. So um, when I started college, that's what I wanted to do. And, you know, I was told why, you know, why do you, we don't have a law school here, you know, just become a teacher. And, and I love teaching. Mm -hmm. I still think that one day, you know, I want to go back teaching is, I guess children are a passion. I love being around children and helping children. So yes, I, kind of took a detour and went to teaching. And mm -hmm. then after several years, seeing some of the things that I didn't like mm -hmm. as a teacher, I said, no, my dream was law school. Mm -hmm. So then I just took a summer off, started studying again, took the LSAT and I got accepted and I left. Wow. And I left, that, yeah, I packed that. up everything. I got the letter, I remember telling my parents and my brothers and they're like, really again? And I'm like, I'm leaving. So yeah, that wow. was my passion, being going to law school. So I'm so blessed that I got to accomplish that. So you were a teacher for a year? For about three, three to four years. Oh, wow. I was teaching first grade. Wow. In La Jolla, I was a teacher in La Jolla. That's where I graduated from. And then and PSJ. Then, yes, PSJ. <laughs> and then PSJ, I was a teacher in PSJ as oh, well. Oh, really? So. Yeah, okay, that's <laughs> mm -hmm. cool. So, um, so you graduate uh, from Michigan State, yes. right? Um, so what, ultimately what kind of just uh, brought you back down. You graduated. Did you just come back to family and say like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna plant my roots here and. Yes, I graduated from law school, and that's when my parents got very ill. Uh, mm. Both of my parents got very ill. They were transferred to San Antonio, um, so I moved to San Antonio to take the bar while I was taking care of them there. Um, and after that, I stayed there. I was helping the women's shelter in San Antonio, um, and my parents just, you know, needed me back home. And after a while, I decided, you know what, the best thing is to just come home. I would come back every weekend, work in San Antonio, come back, and I was happy here. You know, until my friends and my family said, why don't you just move back? And I did. I came back to the Valley, and I loved it every since the first day. And um, I'm here. And when you when, when you came back, did you come back, like, did somebody had, had somebody already offered you a job? Or did you move back, and then you were like, I'm going to find something? <laughs> no. Just like your parents were like, Basically, I'm moving over here, and I'm going to find something. Of water. I packed all my stuff <laughs> in one car, um, like I did when I left law school, moved to San Antonio. Whatever fit in that car was what I took. And then from San Antonio, whatever fit in that car, I brought back home. I didn't know a single person. Um, in I the legal know, profession. In the legal profession, I'm sorry. Yeah, there you go, thanks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know people. a single person in the legal profession, you're mm -hmm. correct. I didn't know an attorney, I didn't know a judge. So mm -hmm. I had to come back home, and one day I just walked into the Hidalgo County Courthouse, and um, I had met someone from Legal Aid, Pablo Almaguer, and he said, hey, do you wanna take a case? And I said, I don't have an office, I don't know anybody, but I took one of my first cases, I was at the law library, and that's how I got, you know, and started the legal profession. That's I took I a case, started. and I was able to help, you know, um, a lady in the military that was gonna get deployed. Mm -hmm. 
So that was my very first case. And um, little by little, I started meeting different people, working very hard. And I was in private practice for a long time. I worked through legal aid on a pro bono basis. I've always believed in helping others. You know, people helped, a lot of people helped my father, a lot of people helped me get here. Mm -hmm. So even though I was in private practice, I always gave time to legal aid to help uh, women and men uh, victims of domestic violence. There are men who are victims of domestic violence. Yes, women and men. I helped a lot um, through pro bono, through the Texas Rio Grande Legal Aid. Uh, They have a private involvement program Mm. where I would take cases for free besides my regular work and I would help um, them keep their houses, keep their children, you know, just break that cycle. We're all trying to break a cycle that might not be good for us. For me, it was breaking the cycle of, you know, being a migrant worker and getting educated. So I was trying to out to help women and men uh, breaking that violence cycle. Right, right, yeah, because once you feel like you're immersed in it, it's hard to get out. It is very difficult. And I did some work in San Antonio with a shelter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, coming back home, I looked for similar opportunities to be able to help my community. So I helped legal aid. And um, after that, I worked for the public defender's office to also helping people who cannot afford to hire an attorney to represent them. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. Uh, and so turning to Luis, you uh, eight years in Houston. What brought you? What brought you back? I think I knew all along that I wanted to come back to the Valley. I mean, obviously, these are my roots. I felt, you know, I knew a lot of people down here, not in the legal profession, but just, you know, I had a lot of friends, family, and et cetera. So I just felt after being away for so long, I just missed the Valley so much that uh, I I just knew, and, and I think I was right, that it would be better for me for my career just to come back home and, and work in an environment where, you know, you're more familiar with your surroundings, you're, you know, getting to know people actually was a lot easier. I, you know, it literally took me in undergrad when I was in, in, in Houston, it took, it, I, I'd probably go weeks without actually talking to anybody, you know, because I just didn't know any other, I used to work on campus. So I, I would talk to my, you know, coworkers and, you know, people in that department that I knew. But as soon as I'd leave that office and I'd walk to class and I'd, you know, go have lunch, whatever, I, I mean, I, I walked around campus of what is 40 some thousand students and I didn't know very many people. And it was rare to see, you know, bump into somebody every now and then. So I think I'd had enough of that. Mm-hmm. I love Houston, by the way. I yeah. love to go back now that I can afford to, you know, go out to or restaurants. You're a big U of H fan, right? Big time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I still try to go basketball games, football games. So I, I love the city of Houston. I, it, it just grew on me big time. But mm-hmm. at that point in my life, I was ready to come back home. Uh, again, I just thought it would be a better environment, better situation for me. And, and I think I, it was the right choice to make. Um, I had planned to do that all along, to be honest with you. Uh, I came back and kind of hit the, you know, the, the, ground, the running. ground running. Yeah, I, I moved into, a, I have an uncle who was a lawyer. Growing up, I had no idea what a lawyer did, but I knew he wore nice suits and drove nice cars and lived in a nice home. So I said, well, he, he always sounds like a pretty good. Yeah, he always seemed like to be happy, job. too. Yeah, I was like, well, I don't know what you do, but, you know, maybe, you know, one day I can grow up to do that. So, uh, you know, he opened his doors for me and uh, allowed me to move into his office. He gave me a little office uh, space there. And, you know, he was already been in, in, in the profession 20 plus years, probably at that point. And so, uh, you know, he just kind of, hey, help me out with this, help me out with that. It's kind of teaching me the ropes and just, you know, it just kind of steamrolled from there. So, it, you know, for me, it, it wasn't all that difficult to get going because he introduced me to, you know, everybody down at the courthouse and all his friends, et cetera. So it, it was, you know, it, it was a good, it was a positive experience from the beginning. It wasn't, 
you know, I, I imagine in any profession, there's a learning curve, which I had right. to go through as well, but at least it was in, in a, in, it wasn't a hostile environment, it was a friendly environment and it was nice to be able to meet a lot of people through him. So I, I really appreciate that. Right. And I think, you know, like as a, as a professional, you're, you're looking for, um, you're looking for a network, right? You're, you're part of, part of the learning curve is, is just understanding the profession, gaining the experience, but then also there's a lot to say about the professional network that you start to build throughout the years. Absolutely. So, um, you started, you started the practice, you started with your first case, somewhere along the line of you all practicing law, you meet. <sighs> Tell me about, I want to hear your side of the story. I was going to say, it's an interesting, uh, it depends who you ask. So I'll give you my, I'll give you my version. <laughs> so we met at the most romantic place in the valley, at the courthouse. So, um, no, not just the courthouse. The juvenile courthouse. Oh, we're representing juvenile delinquent. Well, well, it was my first time. I went there to observe uh, cases, and the judge was very gracious to give me my first case. And this was what year? This was back in 2009. Eight, nine? It was eight, 2008. 2008. 2008, okay. Oh, yeah, he's better with dates than me. It was 2008, so it was the first time I was just there to observe with a friend who took me over there, and they gave me a case. Uh, juvenile was going to jail. I've never done a case. I was stressing out. I had no idea what I was doing, what I was going to argue. And I'm there trying to read a file, trying to get ready. And I know that he came by and he was like, hey, by the way, my name is Louis Singletary. And, you know, he was so happy, go lucky. And I think he said, hey, just go out there and make your best argument. And I'm just like, I don't know what I'm going to argue. It's my first time here. So we met there at the courthouse, at the juvenile courthouse. And that was your pickup line, just like... Say, I know you're lost. You don't know what you're doing, but just follow me and right. I'll teach you the way. <laughs> but you're like, you're going to do great. So even from the get-go, like oh, encouragement. And, and, and that was being sincere because I, you know, I could tell she was a little stressed out about what was going on. And, and really and truly, I mean, you already know what to do. It's just you haven't done it. You know, you've been trained to do this. You've already, your gut tells you wh- where you want to go with this, what you want to say, what you want to do. You just don't have the confidence, just like anything else, just because you haven't done it, you know, a number of times. But after a while, it, it comes a little routine or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that was the message I was trying to convey to her at the time. Just just go with it. It's going to be fine. Nobody's going to, no one's going to go to life for prison. Nobody's going to get, the, you know, yeah. executed here. You're going to be fine. Just do, just do what comes naturally, whatever comes to mind. I mean, you're smart. Obviously, you've been trained. Just do it what you feel and just say what you think, you know, you should say. So, so you saw her kind of looking over her notes. You just decided to give her some words of encouragement. And then what happened? Well, it was, I mean, well, for, well, yeah, I, I did see her looking over notes. And I, she was a little like the, you know, you the headlights shining on her and just kind of little nods. <laughs> and not to mention, I was like, oh, she's a, First, it's a good looking lady there, <laughs> young lady. I was brand new, I mean, new to the courthouse. So no, I did well, my client didn't go to prison. The judge gave me another opportunity. I think it was one of my most passionate arguments. Honestly, going back and the judge was like, okay, it's enough. I'm like, no, but you've got to listen to it. And I kept on going and going. And I think the judge was going to give him a chance. I just, I was so passionate about keeping him from jail. And then, yeah, I mean, it was, the rest was just history. We would see each other at the courthouse. I was very busy. I was mm. back home taking care of my parents trying to uh, build my own law office and mm-hmm. just working hard to take care of them. And we would just see each other at the courthouse a whole lot and then we started trying cases. 
So that was the introduction. It was just like, was this, this, yeah, this just interacting at the courthouse. But it wasn't like, I met you. What's your number? Let's go. No, it, it, we just kind of, it, it was that, no, no, no. I, I, I wasn't like that at all. I think we, we, you know, we ran into each other several times. And obviously, you know, you, mutual friends and, hey, you know, well, you know, what do you think about today, that, whatever. And I know mm-hmm. we have a mutual friend, Laurita, who I thank every day. His who friends would try to keep me, everybody away from me saying that, you know, no, she has to date Louis Singletary. And I'm like, <laughs> who is Louis Singletary? Oh, that guy, you know, that you met. So I was working hard, but my friends, we had a lot of friends in common. We went to a lot of events in common and mm-hmm. we were always at the courthouse. So our friends were always trying to get me to date him. Because, friends- because, you, because they knew you all so well that they were like, your personality and his they love they loved him you know and then of course they loved me too we were both single so they were like it's perfect but it just took a long time it took a while timing timing it It took a while you know i was focused on working a lot you know learning Mm. being you know he had a lot of experience Mm. um so he was already said he had his office he was an experienced attorney i was a brand new attorney building my career so trying to make a name for yourself and i was working very hard and it left very few free time so he was very patient very very patient well, i didn't want to scare her off either so i i, I was <laughs> you know, cool. yeah, yeah, yeah of course he did and it helped and exactly. it helped the fact that he left me alone and just you know Played let me cool. let me let me do my thing and you know and then we started doing a lot of work together i mean he was a great uh, mm. criminal attorney trial attorney mm. and i was very eager to learn so we started trying a lot of cases together and just being around each other and working together a lot so it was kind of one of those natural things where it was like, we're spending a lot of time together, we're cool together, we should, and then so just, did he ask you out on a date? And like, when did it become official? Well, that's like, also, that it depends of? who you ask. I asked him out. Oh, you asked him that's out. That's my version of the story. I asked him out, yes. Did. I was I playing did. hard to get. Oh, that, I already that's knew. That's the way you gotta do it. That's the way you gotta do it, bro. No, I knew he was in- interested and he was around a lot. I just wasn't ready at the time. Mm. And then I guess when I was ready, I was like, okay, come on now. I know you like me. You want to go out with me? Like, we're not getting any younger here. So I say that I asked him out. Well, what did you ask him out? What would you do or what? It was at a Young Lawyers. I was I was very involved with the Young Lawyers. And the, young, the Hidalgo County Young Lawyers Association. Hidalgo County Young Lawyers Association. Mm. I was on the board um, for several years. I mean, that's how I got started. Uh, and we had a meeting and I think afterwards we talked. And I just said, I'm here to work really hard. I'm here to take care of my parents. That's my priority. And if you want to come along for the ride, but understanding that I'm going to work very hard. And, you know, he did. He, I guess we're in the same profession. We mm-hmm. understand the demands of this work. Mm-hmm. So he was very good about, you know, respecting my work and my time with my parents. Yeah. Very supportive of, of each other's career because, uh, you know, it can be very time consuming. I would imagine um, both of you all were... Uh, what, what types of law do you practice? Because, and I'm not, I'm not too, too keen on, you know, the, the, all of the different facets of, of um, what attorneys do, but there's personal injury attorneys, there's criminal, right? There's a uh, commercial litigation. There's a lot of these different facets of, of the law where there, were you all just sort of uh, doing a, a lot of different things at, at first, or were you specifically concentrated in one part of, one part of it? I mean, I, I started initially trying to do a little bit of everything, you know, just trying to find your niche, see right. what, what you like. Mm-hmm. Um, the office that I worked in, um, we, they did a lot of criminal defense work. Mm. I started doing a lot of federal criminal defense work, mm. which was um, 
very challenging, but at the same, at the same time, you know, um, you know, you want to take on that challenge. It was, it was very provoking, very intriguing. You know, you, you kind of want to take on these big cases, you know, and, and so I started initially started doing a little bit of everything, but then I started kind of gearing towards uh, more towards a criminal mm. defense. Uh, I did obviously a lot of state work, but I, I did do a lot of criminal defense work in, in the federal system, which was, I found very exciting and, and very uh, rewarding because I would, you know, uh, in addition to what you learn in the courtroom, just by trying cases, experiencing different things, it also gave me the opportunity to travel the country. Mm-hmm. I represented a lot of clients outside of the Valley. So I traveled, you know, to Florida, Alabama, New York, uh, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, you know, and, and so it was fun to be able to go to places, you know, and, uh, you know, you show up kind of, you know, places I've never been before and right. never thought I'd, and you know, ever be there, especially work related. And you show up and you show up to these big old historic, you know, big old beautiful courthouses. Yeah. Right? And so it just kind of gave you a sense of pride. Like, you know, I, I, I'm making, I, yeah, I'm, I'm doing, doing something. I'm doing, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that, that was a lot of fun. And, um, again very rewarding when you're able to help people out because as a criminal defense attorney obviously we represent people who are guilty of having committed crimes Mm -hmm. and oftentimes the majority of the people that you represent you know are in fact guilty of having committed these offenses that they've been charged with but there are persons people who have been falsely accused Mm -hmm. or you know maybe we're at the wrong place at the wrong time Mm -hmm. and when you're able to help these people out and you you know the outcome is positive and you know it Aside from the financial, you know, aspect of it, just it's very rewarding to be able to walk away from, you know, when you close down a case and you feel like you did something that was right. You did something that was good. And that's just something that they can't, you know, you can't put a price tag on that. You can't, you know, just the feeling you kind of look back to all the struggles that you went through, all the sacrifices, everything, you know, sitting in class, taking exams, doing all this stuff, riding the bus for two hours. And then you feel like, you know what, it was all worth it because that person gets to go home to his or her family mm-hmm. because they got themselves wrapped up in a situation where they shouldn't have been in the first place. And again, the, the, the practice of law can be financially rewarding, but it's rewarding far beyond you know any financial uh, rewards. I mean, just, just the feeling of knowing that you did the right thing and you were able to help somebody out. I mean, there's, you just can't, you know, put a price on that. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, um, regardless of the profession, you know, there, there's some people that make from a monetary standpoint, and I've talked about this before too, is, is like a lot of people attribute success. Like what does it mean to be successful? And when people think about that, they say the first thing that they associate success with is money. Right. But that's not always the case because as you continue to progress, I feel like there's a certain sense of fulfillment that money cannot, it, 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 there, there's no, there's no, substitute, money cannot substitute that, right? There's a certain sense of fulfillment that beyond what you do, like, you you know, you give of your time, uh, there, there's, there's that sense of fulfillment when you're able to um, have somebody have a better life because you were able to step in and do something about it. That is way more fulfilling than any sort of monetary gain that you may absolutely absolutely and and so that's probably the most like the most rewarding rewarding part of your career right or like each and every day yes yeah yeah Uh, even now you know i mean there's people that come before you and you know just this morning you know we've had a family case where you know it's it's just complicated you know things aren't easy but you try to do the right thing and and hope that people walk away from 
from the situation feeling like they 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 you know you were fair you treated them right you treated them with respect and the outcome was good and if you do get it right which we don't always get it right but you try to get it right you know as often as you can as much as you can and if you get it right i mean it, it's it's it, yeah it's rewarding in and of itself yeah well i i think that that really definitely like the background speaks to the character and the way that you all are now that you all are both judges and we haven't really gotten to that point and in, in terms of campaigning right through through you know your 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 journey so far but like um i think background has a lot to do with when you're taking a look at those juvenile cases those things that you've tried right um all of the all of the things that you've seen and, and everything that you've experienced helps you to become a a better judge because of those experiences and so um i think that that, that i think that's that's pretty neat and i think Nadea's, you know the avenue that she took i think it was just as or even more rewarding because you did a lot of family law yeah, yeah. yes oh, you know, is that where you we're all legal in our the legal profession and like i said coming back home it was great because we have represented people from all walks of life. Mm. You know, being back home to a valley that is not as big as Houston, you're able to have a diverse uh, clientele mm. and they come with you with different problems. Perhaps at one time you represented them on a family case, mm. but then they've gotten to know you, they've gotten to trust you. And later on, when somebody else has a different type of problem, they want you to help them. Mm. You know, and I've been in that situation, yes, family law, I think, follows me. In Michigan, I worked a lot with child support, with you know families. I moved to San Antonio, and I get you know to help with the shelter, the battered women shelter, and then I moved back to the valley. And you know, family law has followed me, and I've realized you know children, family law—that's my passion, mm -hmm. that's my calling. But I've also been able to practice in criminal law, like I said, litigating cases with him and by myself. You know, doing personal injury. Your your our career gives us that opportunity to impact people's lives mm -hmm. as an attorney representing them from losing keeping them from losing their house you know their their mo their children you know those are their liberty you know their most prized possession like we tell all our clients you know is your liberty your children your family and now as judges we are very blessed to be in that position as well that we bring this experience and for most people i tell them this is my third career you mm -hmm. know i was a teacher i was an attorney and now as a judge and sitting here now you know going back and thinking wow you know how did i get here all these experiences, you know, going through different situations, different careers have molded us to be more sympathetic, to be more empathetic. When mm -hmm. we have somebody that comes before our courtroom, we're able to relate. Mm -hmm. You know, and as judges, we apply the law. Our job is to apply the law fairly. Mm -hmm. But experiences will come into play of whether I give somebody else an opportunity, a second chance. You know, mm -hmm. you have an individual who perhaps made some wrong choices, mm -hmm. but you see there's a future for them, you know. Mm -hmm you perhaps give them a second chance, you know, and that's where our experiences come into play. Yeah, yeah. So um, so now you all are attorneys, you're, you're practicing, you're, your passion is family, you're really uh, finding a, a really great niche in, in criminal. You all are now, I guess, dating, right? How long were you all dating before, you know, before you popped the question? And if you don't mind me asking, like, what was that? What was that proposal <laughs> like? It was, it's not too personal. It was what, like four or he's, five he's years? He's better with numbers. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm trying to I think about, about five years. It, yeah, five we dated years. for about almost five years. Okay. Uh, it was her birthday. I planned a trip to San Francisco. Nice. Um, which is really nice. My first time in San Francisco. Was it your first time in San Francisco? I think it was her second time. No. No, I don't remember. You see, I'm not great at <laughs> No, no. Well, it was my first time. I think it was your first yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. First okay. and only time. 
We've only yeah. been to San Francisco together, so yeah, yeah. Okay. it's either so, our, both our first yeah. or their second time. But we're in San. It was our, you know what? It was our first time in San Francisco. Yeah, well, we won't be. I think we've been there three times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's not like we go like just every summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We have remember. a summer vacation. But yeah, he, you know, we went out and you know we were having dinner and. Do you remember the restaurant? Yeah, like, do you yeah, we've gone. We've, we've gone back. We've actually gone back, we've gone back to the same restaurant. The same restaurant. I think we sat at the same table. It was underneath the bridge. Um, yeah. You know, he was. Not the Golden Gate. The Golden Gate. No, 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 it was the other. Like, not, Jesus. not the uh, Oakland Bridge or whatever. No. 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 What is it? I got a picture of it. I, we I, were, and he wanted to go outside, and you know, I love taking pictures. I love having pictures of everything. You know, there's a story behind it, but I love taking pictures. He's like, let's go outside and take a picture, and I was like, no, it's freezing. He's okay, like, so wait, wait, wait. So just kind of paint the picture for me here. Uh, your five, your five years. You go to San Francisco for it's like a weekend trip. For my birthday. It's her birthday. For your birthday. birthday. So it's birthday weekend trip. Uh, it's cold, obviously. It's freezing. It's the middle of July. But it's freezing and for it's, me. But it's cold, yes. It's 60. San Francisco, yes. yeah. Yes. We had been out all day, so I was tired. He's like, let's go outside, take a picture. And I'm like, no, it's freezing. It's freezing. So and, you know, get a cab. And he was very nervous. And, yeah, you know, I was like, why are you so nervous? You know, She already knew. I did not know, actually. And he you was drinking. No, no, I had no clue. He was drinking. And I was like, why is he insisting? I'm like, fine, <laughs> fine. Let's go outside and take a picture. And. That's where he proposed. Mm. Got any? I found I found uh, some gentleman that was there. Well, I got to search for key. Come here because I need Peter to take a picture of this. Like, why? Well, please help me. There was hardly anybody out there. So it was just a random, just a random, random person, person that he flagged down there, and th yeah, he was there, and then he got on his knee and he proposed. So wow. I did not know. I was surprised actually. And she was so cold. She's like, yes, 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 it's cold. Yes, it's cold. Let's go. It's cold. Get out of here. So I didn't understand why he was so nervous. I guess for men it's harder, but it's like you knew I was going to say yes. Well, it was going to be a one-time deal. You know, you, you, you want to get it right. You want to do everything just right. You right. want the moment to be perfect. Well, um, I think for a guy too, it's right. Like getting the ring right at the right also, time. Yeah, right? yeah. Like, uh, do you like the square? Do you like the round? I don't know what they're called, right? Princess cut and like round cut. And like well, yeah. Drop or whatever. It's like yeah. that's a lot of it's a lot of pressure. It is. You know, I cheated though. I had a practice ring. I oh, had a ring you? that I regularly replaced, yes, because I knew I could not get the right ring without her input. So. Oh, good so, for you, yes. sir. You, that I, it, it, it was, you know it, her well. Yes, it was temporary. It was ah. it was an, uh, an engagement ring, but for that purpose only. For, just, just for the symbolism. For the symbolism, yeah, for the the symbolism, symbolism yeah. only, and then you pick whatever yeah, and then, you then want. Then right? We went out. We'll yes. go out and get what you <laughs> And we did do that. Well, yeah, yeah. you're a good A few man. months later. So, yeah, that was the proposal in July, and then we went off and got married the following year. Puerto Rico. Wow, very Straight nice. There. So you all had like a, you all went out destination, and destination, wedding. destination wedding. That's fantastic. Well, you know, it's, it's kind of strange because, you know, we live in the Valley, right? Mm -hmm. You have to invite everybody. everybody. And, and if you, invite, you for, yeah, if you forget one person, like you'll never hear the end of it. Oh yeah, I know. So we invited everyone. So everybody was invited. Puerto Rico. We invited the whole world. <laughs> and then how many people showed up? Had a couple hundred people show up. Yeah, we had a lot of people actually. We didn't expect a lot of people to show up. It was great. But a lot of people did show up to our wedding. That's thank so God. cool. Yeah, thank God. That's so cool. Yeah. And so outdoor wedding? It was an outdoor yes. wedding in uh, the rainforest. We, you know, we brought our families. Uh, we paid for our immediate family. We, we paid for all their flights, their hotels and everything so that... You know, we didn't want to burden them with having to bear those expenses. So we, we kind of did some math, math, and we Very figured, you know, all the money that we're going to spend on a wedding here, on doing this, you know, the salon and the meal. And so once we calculate everything, people. exactly, it was like, it's going to be the same. If you we, if we calculate and factor in all those expenses, it says we're going to have a great time. It's going to be beautiful. Our families are going to get to go over there. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it little mini vacation. 
it's going to be memorable and you know everybody that we want to be there all our close friends uh, people that we care about people that we love they all showed up and by all accounts, I think everybody pretty much had a good time. Yeah. I would imagine yes. that they did. But Puerto Rico, I mean, yeah. that's, that's I almost didn't awesome. make the wedding, though. Why? I accidentally almost, well, not accidentally, I kind of fell off the boat. What? It's a long story. Well, we have time. <laughs> I just, I was walking along, we rented a sailboat that our friends and I, well. Our, it was a big it, kind it, of run, and the waves were, and he just. I, 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 yeah. He claims it was, he claims it was an, he claims it was an accident. I don't know. I think maybe he didn't want to get married, but I was still going to get married. <laughs> I was so. walking along <laughs> the sailboat and it was kind of like a little rough, right? We had just taken off in the morning. It was, uh, it was like 11 of us right on that boat. It was 10 couples. And, and then one of our friends that was there by himself, well, with the other 10 of us. And so I was walking along, you know, one of the side of the sailboats and we're, it was just bumpy. It was rough as we were leaving and it was, you know, about knee high, the the rail, and I just, you just went fell over. over. But I happened to grab onto a cable that went up to the sail straight up in the middle of the boat. I mean, if I'd have been a foot further up ahead or a foot behind from where the spot, you know, where I flew over, I would have grabbed it in the water. I don't know what would have happened. No, but I, I held onto a cable. I was dangling on the side of the sailboat for a few minutes until somebody eventually walked by and heard me screaming for help. <laughs> They leaned over and saw me and they stopped the boat and got me in. And then I was scolded because she thought I did it on purpose. That's hilarious. But yeah, I have great That's a good story. Stories, great yeah. stories. We still got married. <laughs> we got married a couple days after that. That's fantastic. That's awesome. So um, you all are, now you all are married. You're going through, um, both have very, very good careers, generating a lot of momentum. And then... Luis, you decide to, well, before I get into that, uh, at some point you decide to run for judge, right? So from the time that you got married to the time you run for judge, what's kind of, what's kind of that, what's kind of that experience? Well, it, it, now it, you're it, tearing up, right? Yeah, it was right after up. we got married. Three months after. Three months after we got married. Really? A lot of things happened in uh, 2013, 2014. Yeah, well, that's when I met y'all. Yeah. I met y'all on that, 2013, Yeah, so I had uh, recently married. We were just married. Three oh, months. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Back in uh, 2004, I was uh, offered a position as a municipal judge, a part-time municipal judge with the city of Far. And so I was able to do that part-time and still practice law full-time. So I had been a judge for uh, in the city of Far for 10 years. Well, at that point, maybe about nine, eight and a half, nine years. When the uh, 92nd District Court uh, Ricardo Rodriguez used to be the, the judge there. He decided to run for, for a district attorney. So he vacated that position. So that position was added on to the upcoming election. It was a, spe a special election because the term wasn't up for another two years. But so that position became vacant. And then conversations kind of started taking place. And, you know, then some folks kind of asked me, hey, well, why don't you consider doing this? And I never, ever. I just wanted to graduate from law school and get to work so I could make some money and actually just, you know, live Not a normal life. A two yeah. hour bus drive. Exactly. I just wanted to drive my own car. That's, mm -hmm. you know, that's all I wanted in life was just, just to live a normal life. Mm -hmm. I never thought uh, ever that I was one day gonna be a judge. It's not something that I, that I ever thought about really when I was in law school or anything, but mm -hmm. everything's about timing. And I think the timing was right. The, um, 
you know, the fact that I'd already been a municipal judge for 10 years, I think that helped a lot. I'd been practicing for, at that point, about 50, give or take about 15 years. And it just seemed like, you know, the right time to do it. I had a conversation with my wife. I said, well, what do you think? And, you know, we went back and forth. And one day just said, you know what? Let's do it. No guts, mm -hmm. no glory. So decided to take on that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and you went on that campaign trail, and I remember that campaign trail, man. You all really just grinded and grinded. I mean, I remember seeing those, like you all would do the block walks. And oh, God. Would, I mean, you all campaigned it right. Like you did it the right way and the way that you're supposed to do it. And so- Don't get the right team? Yes. You were the, part of our team? Yes, yes. <laughs> very small part. Very small part, which I'm very grateful for, by the way, but uh, but no, I, I think that you all did it definitely, the, you know, you did it the right way for sure. You know, if there's one thing that you learn, you know, um, and, and I know many people can, can relate to this in m many different aspects of life, many different professions, but anything that's worth doing and anything that's worth acquiring, it's gonna take some time, some sacrifice, some energy. Work. Yeah, you have to work for it. Nobody's right. gonna hand anything to you. And having lived through the experience of, you know, I mean, and, and I'm speaking for myself, and I know she had very similar experience, but you know, what I went through in undergrad, what I went through in law school, campaigning was like, I've kind of already done this before. Like it was, yeah, it was a sacrifice, but it wasn't like, you know, my first time having to run a marathon. Mm -hmm. I don't run very many marathons, but. But you know, figuratively but speaking. Figuratively speaking, yeah, it's like yeah. I've done there this before. There is the light you know, at the end of the tunnel. We work hard, you know. Yeah, you already know the formula. The you you right. put you put in the time, you put in the work, and the end result is going to be good. Right. And so you kind of already done this once, you've done it twice. And you do that really with, you know, you do that with your marriage, you do that with your friends, you right. do that with your family. It's the same formula. You go through the grind. You go through the grind. I mean, there's no shortcuts. And if you try to sh take shortcuts, it probably, you know, it may not work out in the end. But, you know, so we kind of figured, you know what? Let's let's go ahead and do this, and thank God everything worked out just fine. Man, and here we are. Yeah. So and she supported me one hundred percent. I remember. Yeah, and I'm very grateful for that. So I told them I'm never going to complain. Years, day. you know, fast forward <laughs> a few years later, and then you know, again, timing, etc. And then now here we are. Kind of roles have kind of have have flipped. Well, now now I mean, she supported you right right out of the gate. Well, My number one it, it supporter. Kinda started, it started with you supporting her through that juvenile case. That's right. Juvenile court case. <laughs> you can do it. I believe in That's you. That's right. You're going to do fine. And now it's you guys got, you all got married. She did the same thing, right? You can do it. I believe in you. You're going to do fine. And then, um, then Nereida decides to go that route as well, right? And so whether it is... Um, whether it was, uh, you know, divine intervention <laughs> or uh, was just something that maybe you motivated, but at, at this point you go from, you become a judge, you're still practicing, and now you run for office. Well, yeah, after that I became a judge. There was a position that became available uh, at one point Okay. Timing wasn't there. There was an opening in Master Court. Timing just wasn't there. People asked me, do you want to apply? I didn't. A year later, you know, I was pregnant with my child, with my first daughter, Natalia. And I said, no, it's not the time. You know, mm. a year later, another position becomes available. The same thing, family law. You know, one of the family courts, child support courts came about. And at that point, I said, I'm going to apply. This is my passion. And I was very grateful and blessed that I was appointed. 
I was appointed as an associate judge for Hidalgo, Jim Hogg, and Star County. So that was three years ago. Wow. So I became an associate judge, and that's what I've been doing. I'm presiding over cases. And then after that time, um, you know, there was another judge, Dori Contreras, uh, ran for the chief justice position. She was able to be successful, and she became her first chief Latina, and her spot vacated. In the Court of Appeals. In the, in the, in the now in the Court of Appeals. Appeals. So that was about a year ago. And after, again, talking to my husband, you know, we sat down and said, you know, we have goals. This is something that I've been wanting to do. I've been a trial attorney. You know, I'm already a judge. I think this experience will help me, you know, be able to uh, be great at this job that's, you know, this uh, vacancy. So I decided, I announced about a year ago, that I would be running for the 13th Court of Appeals, place six. It's a different spot right now from where I'm at. So it's a higher court, obviously. And we decided to add, you know, when Luis ran, it was one county, Hidalgo. Uh, this uh, vacancy is 20 Which counties. Which was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so I've added 19 more counties to this uh, campaign. So now this position, 13 Court of Appeals, place six, covers 20 counties. That is... All the Coastal Bend area and all the Rio Grande Valley. So that is quite the campaign trail. And and so what's that campaign trail been like? I mean, you're 19 counties in, right? 19? Or 20. 20. 20 counties. 20, 20 counties. 20. That's 20 counties. 19 in addition to Hidalgo County. Oh, 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 in addition to. Okay. So 20, 20 count, counties in total. Um, what's that been like? Honestly, it has been a lot of fun, you know, um, traveling to the other counties. You know, we traveled, obviously, as attorneys, you know, having work in different courthouses. But you find out that even though we're from different communities or different counties, we all have the same values. We all have the same goals. And, you know, we all want the same thing. When someone comes before this courts, obviously, every court is different. You know, our court right now, we see a lot of in-person people coming in before our courts. At the 13th Court of Appeals, it's cases that are being reviewed, mm. okay? But they all want the same thing. They all want to be treated fairly. They all want to be treated equally and with respect. So just traveling the counties, it's been a year, you know, we've traveled the majority of them. I've traveled the majority of them. Um, I find that we all have the same goals and we want the same thing when we have a case that goes before the courts. Our decisions will impact you know, every person, every business, every entity that comes before us. So we need to have someone that is cognizant, you know, and is able to have, uh, use those powers with restraint. Mm -hmm. You know, as being judges, it is a serious job, you know, and we do have that power, like I said, to take away your job, your, you know, your families, your houses, your liberties. Mm -hmm. And you want someone that's gonna use that power with restraint, it's gonna respect that court, and at the end of the day, give everyone, you know, their day in court. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean that's um, that's quite a huge responsibility, and it's a, it's a really big, um, really huge territory. Um, actually, my wife and I were just considering, you know, going off on vacation, so we're gonna road trip it because of all of this COVID stuff. So we're <laughs> like, we can't go on any flights, and so just to get out of Texas is like two days just to <laughs> get out of here, and so uh, we started to rethink that idea. <laughs> Because <laughs> we were trying to go to the Grand Canyon. I was like, that's too far. But, uh, yeah, that that's a huge, huge territory. And, um, you know, to be able to to oversee that, you know, and, and all of the lives that you're going to be impacting, yeah, it's definitely a really big responsibility. So, you know, with all of the things that you've seen, because you've seen family, you know, um, obviously given 
a lot of your your time to um, those that are have been abused um, crim- from a criminal standpoint. You know, you all see just cases and cases and cases. You all are, are I would imagine doing thousands have done thousands over your um, your career so far, just so far. What are some of those kind of um, you know lessons that you've pulled from it? Because I think when people watch the news. They get constantly bombarded with all of this negativity. And so, you know, they start to perceive the world in a certain way. But you all are presiding case over case over case over case over case. How, like, how have you, how do you try to instill some of the morals and the, the things that you've learned along the way and try to kind of put that into, into court so that they can maybe lead a better life or have a second chance or, you know. Well, me personally, I think one of the things that you really need to look at is, and, and, and you come to terms with this and you realize that every single case is different. You can't really treat any one person or any one entity or party based on the way you you know, you know treated somebody else or what you saw in some other case, because every case has its own you know set of circumstances, its unique characteristics, facts, et cetera where you, you know, when you, you close out one case, you turn the page and you start off with a blank page with the next case. Mm-hmm. And you have to just look at everything and everyone and every point of view, you know, and, and you start over again. Mm-hmm. You can't generalize, you can't, uh, you, you know, you can't allow yourself to be jaded by the fact that you've seen this over and over again because every time that you make a decision, it's gonna impact a person, an individual, a family, family members, uh, you know, if it's an entity, it's gonna, you know, that that business, that corporation, that you know, whatever it is. So you 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 have to look at it through kind of a, a you know, the mindset has to be that you have to look at it, you know, in its own individual right. You can't again just go back and refer to things that you've seen in the past. You have to keep an open mind. You have to treat everybody individually, you know, just on 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 its face differently, you know, altogether. Um, I I think that when you start to look at things in, in, in a way such that, you know, like, okay, this is repetitive, this is the same thing over and over again, I, I think maybe you've kind of lost focus on what you're supposed to do because your job is to treat everybody individually, fairly, equally under the law. So, um, you know, you, you, go, you see so many cases on a daily basis and it's hard not to sometimes feel, you know, jaded to, to a certain extent because, you know, uh, a lot of these things are just recurring over and over. Mm-hmm. But you, you just have to keep an open mind. You have to, you know, you know, keep keep uh, be mindful of the fact that you have to treat everybody differently, you know, with their own uh, set of circumstances and and treat everybody individually. Yeah, because like you said, you're not only impacting the individual, right? That's that the case is about, but you're impacting everybody else associated with that case, whether it be family or the other side or what have you, right? So yeah, and society as a whole as well, you know, in, mm-hmm. in some instances. So yeah, you have to be mindful of, of that. Mm-hmm. What about for you? Adeta? The same thing, it's just giving everybody their day in court. I mean, look at where we're at now with this pandemic, how mm-hmm. one thing can affect so many people. So every case that comes before us, that decision that you make, you know, it's going to affect people in mm-hmm. different ways. So we have to be cognizant of that. We always have to step back and realize if this was my case in court, how do I want to be treated? And I mm. think that's the most important thing. When people come before me, 
you know, I am firm, but I also treat them the same way that I want to be treated. And I think as long as you do that every day, you respect people. And at the end of the day, I tell them, I'm going to make a decision. Perhaps, you know, both parties are not going to be happy, but it's the best decision for both. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think when people walk away from your courtroom and they feel that you have respected them, Mm -hmm. they feel that you have listened to their case and made the best decision with the facts that you have before you, Mm -hmm. I think at the end of the day, everyone is happy. Yeah, and I agree with that 100%. You want to treat people the way you would want to be treated. I mean, it it's, doesn't get any simpler than that. That's kind of the golden rule, right? That's yeah. it. You know, it's, it's, it, it really is very simple. You know, the law evolves. We have to evolve with the law, mm-hmm. you know, when things change and the atmosphere changes, you know, and I think that we have been able to ad- at least, you know, I won't speak for you, but both of us have been able to adapt to the new times. Mm-hmm. Now with this virus that we have, you know, things are different. We are hearing cases a different way, but we are able to always keep up with times of still making the wheels of justice spin mm-hmm. and giving everybody their day in court. And we have been able to adapt and you just have to do that every day. Yeah. And the day that you are no longer willing to do that or the day I think that you feel that you know, you're tired, then it's time to let somebody else. You gotta pass on, you, you know, gotta that. Pass that torch. You gotta yeah. pass the torch. And I think that's one of the important things that we have to learn how to pass that torch and be ready for who comes before you know, after us, but also, you know, where we're moving. And I think that's one of the main goal one of the main things why I'm running for office. Mm. I think that we represent, you know, our generation, the generations that are there. So we always need to have someone that is looks like the rest of our community that has the same values, the same goals, mm-hmm. you know. And, and I think also just, you know, I think there's something to say about just the humble beginnings, too, because, you know, you're to, to have that experience and and being able to, to scale up, you you know, you're you're not coming from this like kind of hierarchy of uh, family. You're 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 seeing it at a at a at a very real level. And um, and to be able to have that ex- that experience, those those life experiences, and then kind of take it through, and like you were like you were talking about, both of you all were talking about, you know, like the hard work, the dedication, the pushing through, the making um, making your parents proud as you all are growing um, as you all are growing up and doing those things. I think, I mean, uh, are those some of the things that that sort of stay with you? Like, do you all still have that kind of sense of? making sure that your, you know, your families are still staying proud of you because now you have children, right? Now you were looking, you're looking up to them. Now you have little ones that are looking up to you too, right? And that's one of the things, one of the stories that we have, you know, my last name is Lopez Singletary, you know, and when we got married, you know, that was one of the things <laughs> that, well, you're taking on my last name. And I said, no, I'm going to hyphenate my last name. And I think that our upbringing, our parents have a lot to to do with you know the way decisions that we make and my last name Lopez Singletary is there for a reason because you know I want to honor my father Mm -hmm. that he went through so many sacrifices and even growing up you know there was many times that we were gone you know working and I know one of the times you know my dad told someone like my daughter is going to become a lawyer you know and his employer laughed at him and he said she's never going to become a lawyer you know, and I remember that vividly still him telling my dad and my dad, you know, didn't really he didn't speak English. He understood something. He looked at me like, what did he say? And I was just like, no, it's OK. He's like, no, what did he say? And it was that I would never become an attorney. So wow. leaving law school, coming back, I, you know, later on, I shared with him the story because he didn't know the whole story as to why I, wa- I was so adamant about keeping my last name because I wanted to put it in my law office and say, you know what, Dad, here, I became an attorney. And your last name, you know, I carry it proudly. So I do have one of the longest last names, Lopez Singletary, (laughs) you know, and you'll see it out there, but there's a story, you know, honoring my dad and keeping that, you know, 
last name to show that, you know, I value his sacrifices and that I will carry my last name. And, you know, now he has a daughter. We have Natalia. And he's like, Natalia better carry the Singletary last name, you know? So, <laughs> yeah, that, for sure. That's, you know, one of the things of my last name, why I have, you know, the hyphenated last name. No, so, but, but, you know, go to your point is like, you know, do you want to still make your parents proud, your family name proud? Of course. Mm -hmm. And now we have the added responsibility of, now we have children so, that, you know, we want to make sure that 10, 20, 30, 50 years from now, they can look back and say, hey, you know what? I'm proud of what my parents did. I, I'm proud of what they stood for. Mm -hmm. I'm proud of the way they carried themselves and the way they did things. And so not that it's added pressure, but certainly you want to set that example for them so that they can then follow in those footsteps. And, mm -hmm. you know, God willing, they set those same examples for, you know, future generations. So right. definitely. And so keeping those, those core principles. So one of the things that I, I had actually asked y'all to bring was like uh, a prop, something that something that you all carry, something that you all have around your house to like, you know, that has some significance. And so we've got two items here. <laughs> There's a photo and then what looks like a coin. Is that a coin? It's a little coin, a little token that a very good friend of mine gave me. And I'll let you Sure. Speak about and then because okay, it's so, very fine print. So for those who may just be listening to the podcast and not actually seeing uh, what we're doing, I guess describe the describe the photo as best you can. Yes, this is a, a picture of my dad, and it's uh, when he was about. I asked my mother; he was about twenty years old, and him and his siblings uh, they were in Mexico. So this picture is about sixty years old. Wow! And he carried with him, you know, like I said, my parents immigrated to this country, so they kept this picture all along, you know, and um, he gave it to me. So I have this and it's very valuable to me. But it just shows, you know, he there are four individuals in Mexico, you know, and their sandals were made out of tires. They didn't have money. They grew up. I mean, if we grew up with humble beginnings, they were, you know, a little bit worse than us that, you know, their sandals were made out of tires, you know, and he had this desire to succeed in life. You know, and he immigrated to this country. He worked very hard, you know, and it's the American dream. You know, he came here and here I am now, um, an attorney, uh, educated, a judge running for a higher court. So every day that I wake up, I have these pictures in um, in a restroom, you know, as I get dressed and I just always look at it. And, you know, I want to make my dad proud mm -hmm. that his sacrifices were not in vain and that we're making a positive impact in our community. Just like he did. Like I said, he died. He became a U.S. citizen because he loved this country so much and he uh, instilled in us, there are six of us, you know, to get educated and just make um, make the right decisions. You know, our last name is our reputation. That's right. our character. So I carry his last name, my last name very proudly and, you know, reputation is everything in life. Yeah, that's awesome. So it's a, a really good reminder of just kind of like your roots and where you came where from came and where from. you're going. Mm -hmm. What about you, Luis? I have this little token here, the camera. It's a very good friend of mine, uh, Alex Davila, he was a major in the U.S. Air Force, uh, gave this to me shortly after my uh, election in 2014. And can you describe kind of what's on the both both sides and, you know, just kind of give a visual description if you can? It's a blue and gold coin. Uh, it's got a clover in the front, it says major U.S. Air Force, United States Air Force. In the back, it's got a, a bomber. It says United States Air Force, and the words that are engraved in this coin is really what, this is both a reminder to me about what, how I need to be, what I need to do, and what the responsibility has been instilled in me. The people of Hidalgo County have entrusted me with this huge responsibility, and it's a reminder of what that is. 
but at the same time, it speaks to the person that Alex is because th there's a backstory to Alex and I, the way we met, uh, the way our friendship evolved. And I can tell you that Alex is, I mean, the man's got the biggest heart of anybody I've ever known. I mean, uh, I, I could go on, I could talk about that for another hour, but uh, Alex is just a great guy. And, and the fact that he even gave this to me in of itself is, uh, you know, um, I think in, 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 from his point of view was a sacrifice in of itself. Uh, again, there's a whole backside story to this, but the words that are engraved in here says integrity first, service before self and excellence in all that we do. And I know for those, of, uh, you know, men and women that serve in the armed forces, I mean, these are words that they live and die by. I've never, I, I never served in, in the military. I do have friends and family who did serve and and then thank you all for your service uh, but i think again these words are words that are instilled in them and i know they carry themselves in in such a fashion in everything that they do and when he's you know when he gave me this it was just a small token uh you know just wanted me to have it just to kind of you know I, he didn't tell me that this is just a reminder for you to you know kind of remember these words these words you should live by mm -hmm. but i know without him having to tell me that's what was the purpose of him giving me this to me? Something that was very valuable to him and that he chose to give to us. Right. Wow. And, and there's probably a list of 100 people that he could have given this to instead of me. And, um, and, but he chose to give it to me. So that in of itself is, it means a lot to me. Uh, perhaps Alex doesn't know this, but uh, buddy, if you don't know, I'm telling you, I really appreciate <laughs> that, you know, your friendship um, all the circumstances, you know, surrounding our friendship and how it evolved to where, you know, what it is today. But it, it is a reminder uh, to me about what it is that we should, you know, do every day, how we should comport ourselves every day, how we should treat people every day. And, you know, for someone that's in public service, I mean, these are words that you should live by. Mm -hmm. And you should, you know, and I'm truly honored uh, that he gave me this and I will cherish this forever. Uh, maybe one day I'll pass it on to somebody that I mm -hmm. care for dearly. But I, uh, again, I brought this be just yeah. because of the, the the meaning behind it, and then on so many levels, um, I'm just very grateful. And 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 it's also coincides or not coincides, but it was also given to me at the time when I won my election, and all the things that go into that, all the sacrifice, the time, energy, time away from your family, your friends, etc. So in it's a symbol of just kind of everything, everything bodies, everything that you've been doing. That's exactly right. It's a symbol of all those things just coming together. So and, and a reminder of how we should conduct ourselves on a daily basis. That's awesome. That's, that's awesome. I think that. Yeah. And so do you do you keep that in your pocket? Do you have it like stored away? And like there's a safe place at home where I keep it, where I have uh, okay. other things that I, you know, uh, you value cherish. dearly. Yeah. Yes. And I'm not talking about diamonds or watching that side just things you know like you know yeah. photos etc you know things that, that things are that are kind of invaluable exactly yeah yes that's awesome that's that, that's great so uh as we kind of wrap up there's a there's a few questions right because this podcast is uh life as we know it so you know current things that that um you know couple 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 more questions before we kind of wrap up Number one, is there like a quote, motto, or something that you all live by that, you know, we talked about the golden rule, 
right? And that's kind of the way that you conduct yourself in the um, in the courtroom. But um, are there any other pieces of of uh, quotes, inspiration, thoughts like that that you kind of carry through, and that maybe you instill in your in your children? Like, is there one thing, or maybe several things? I don't have a specific quote that I memorize, but I think one of the recurring things that keep on coming up in my life that I would pass on to someone else or mm. to my daughter, or to my children, or if somebody asks me for advice is don't ever let anybody tell you it's not your turn. Don't ever let anybody tell you, you know, what you can accomplish. Nobody knows better than you what you're able to accomplish. So for me in life has just been a recurrent, you know, theme of, you know, growing up working in the migrant in, in the in the fields of somebody saying she can never become an attorney mm. she won't become an attorney you know to going into you know undergrad or high school when perhaps people didn't believe in me and said no you know perhaps you should just do this or stay mm. home or maybe you should do you know just settle for something you know mm. and it was something that has affected me all the time and i still keep on even today you know mm. when you're trying to do something people will tell you it's not your turn you know, my advice or my words that I would give to someone growing up or going trying to achieve their goal is don't ever let someone tell you it's not your turn. Mm. You know, uh, have you not believe in yourself? You know, you are the only one that knows what you're capable of. So I would just, you know, tell people keep on believing in yourself and don't let anybody else dictate your life or where you're going in life. Right. Yeah. Because I think that the most influential voice um, that you can ever hear is your own. Right. And so if you continue to kind of push yourself to do those things um, and you stay in that, that you're not swayed by other people trying to tell you what you can and can't do, maybe because of their own their own personal experiences. Right. Um, so long as you have that kind of you stay you stay encouraged and you stay confident in yourself and your own, you know, kind of, um, I guess, your dreams and your no your one yeah no one will know you better than you do no one right. can measure the passion that you have or you know the, the fire that you have in you to accomplish something so you know there's nobody else out there better than you yeah. to know you know so that's just my word of advice you know awesome. of things that have driven me or that I've learned through my life awesome you know and, and that, that I carry those same sentiments but to build on that I also am a strong and firm believer in that you have a responsibility to do the very best that you can, you know, with everything that you have, use all your resources, all your energy, do everything to climb up the ladder as high as you can, as far as you can. But wherever that takes you, don't ever forget that you, if you are in a position where you can help others, you also need to, you know, reach down and, and try to bring people mm. with you. I mean, there's no point in climbing that ladder to be there alone. You gotta, you know, continue to try to you know, bring people with you do what you can to help others. And uh, I think that's just a part of me that's like, you know, I'm not selfish. I, I think I, 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 I do gain a lot. I, I, I satisfaction from helping others. You know, we talked about that a little earlier. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's not only uh, your responsibility to do the best that you can with what you have, but when you reach a certain point that you make sure that you help others achieve their dreams, their goals. And if you're in a position to help people, it's your obligation to do so. To shield them, to, you know, I, I, I agree, you know, we must shield each other, bring each other up, you know, and there's no better pride and joy than seeing others succeed as well, so. Yeah, yeah, those are, I mean, the, those are really great, um, really get great takeaways uh, for, for people to kind of 
remember because I think you know those are those are sort of the things that are ingrained as we kind of grow up and uh, sometimes it's ve- it's very easy especially in today's world to lose sight of those those things and so are there like um, you know any anything any sort of principles um, you know pieces of wisdom that you try to instill in your children because you're still your children are still very young one of them is still in diapers right so (laughs) he's not going to remember any uh but but um you know what are some of those things that you that you want to try to carry through like you were mentioning earlier that taking on that um those principles that you learned very early on and then just kind of well, I, I think from my standpoint, and one of the things that as they get a little bit older and they, you know, better understand life in general, is that, you know, we've done our family's sacrifice before we did. We made our own sacrifices to try to get to where we are and try to, as every generation does, you want to provide, you know, for your families. You want your families, you know, your kids to have a better life than you did. Mm. Um I think it's going to be important for them to understand that regardless of what we accomplished uh, or try to accomplish, and and hopefully we would have put them in a better place and a better situation than perhaps we were, mm-hmm. they cannot take these things for granted. These things don't just happen. You know, there are very uh, there's a lot of people out there that are not as fortunate. Perhaps they didn't have the same opportunities, or perhaps didn't take advantage of those opportunities. But whatever the situation is, they need to understand that, you know, just because. You know, you, you perhaps live in a nice neighborhood. You you know, you have the ability to go to college, et cetera. Like this isn't just the way it is for everybody. You know, mm. you have to understand that that there's certain things that took place before your time that put you in this position, and you can't just take it for granted. Certainly, you want to take advantage of the situation that you're in in terms of trying to build on that, mm. but don't think for two seconds that you know you're privileged. You know, just because, you know, your parents did this. Now, you're going to have to make your own sacrifice. You have to make your own choices, decisions in life. And you want to build on what it is that you already have. Mm-hmm. You know, the sky's the limit for everybody. None of us have reached the sky yet, but mm-hmm. we can keep trying. And you should continue to try from wherever, you know, whatever your starting point is. You know, everybody has a different starting point. But right. their starting point may be different than ours. Uh, but nonetheless, that you still need to work hard to you know accomplish your goals your dreams and and set the you know i think we've set a decent bar for them i would yeah. hope to where they you know they're gonna i i hope that they grew up to be kids who want to you know what this is what mom and dad did and we they want to aspire to be more that's just right. like you were you aspired to be more and you aspired to be more yeah exactly. you know so many doors have been open for us too you know it's so many mm. generations people before us have helped us open the door for us, especially for us women, mm. you know, opening the door so that we're able to become accomplished. And that's something that we will pass on, that I hope to pass on to our children. You know, doors are opened. However, there's a lot of work to be done. Mm. So how is this gonna be done following your passion? You know, what is it that really motivates you? How are you gonna go out there and, you know, be success, successful? You have to be happy. You have to have the drive. So you, they will have to find whatever their drive is. Mm. You know, perhaps law was my passion and our drive, mm-hmm. but it might be different from them and as long as they're able to keep the values that we instill in them as children about you know um following their passion following their love you know always giving back i think that you know they'll be able to move forward and yeah we have a lot of work to be done so passing on the torch to them now <laughs>